Hey, we're in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, and we're looking today at how to stay in the truth. How to stay in the truth. You know, the Apostle John is going to teach us from the inspiration of his pen and the Holy Spirit breathing this, these words into him in this great epistle of 1 John. 1 John. He's going to teach us how to be people that stay in the truth. And that's important because, you know, there's freedom in the truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32, that you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. And Jesus also said, if the Son sets you free, John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed, right? And freedom's an important thing because it's a part of living in the Spirit. We're told in Romans chapter 8 that if where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Romans 8 tells us that. The part of living in the Spirit is living in freedom, and God wants us to live as, as, as not only adopted sons and daughters of God, God wants us to live in the freedom that we get in living in the truth. But we got to be people that stay in the truth. You know why? You know why that's important? It's because Satan wants just the opposite. Satan wants us to be back in the bondage of his lies. And that's what he does. He's a liar. We're told by Jesus himself when he's addressing some people that were following Satan John 8, 44, Jesus speaking and said, you are the, your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Talking about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for Satan is a liar. And notice, he's the father of all lies. So you go Satan's way, you go the way of lying and mistruth, you go Jesus' way, and you go the way of truth. Because Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. But here's the, here's the deal. Satan has winds of mistruths even blowing through the church. Part of my job as a pastor is to be a pastor teacher that equips you in righteousness through God's word, but also equips you with truth so you won't be blown away by the winds of doctrine that are false doctrines that oftentimes sweep through the church. And that's Satan's goal, is to get you off kilter with mistruths so you don't stay with the truth. That's what he wants. I've seen it. Last 40 years of being a Christian, the last 35 years of being a pastor, I've seen people that were a part of my church as I'm pastoring, and these winds of doctrine start blowing through the culture or through even some churches, and they get carried along with some really mistruths. And a lot of times they'll even leave the fellowship because of mistruths. And I'll, I'll see them later, and, I, and they'll come back sometimes, but it's like, don't be blown away by the mistruths that are blowing through the culture or the church, because there's not freedom in that. There's only freedom and truth. Only as we know the truth and we live in the truth are we going to live in freedom. Satan wants to put us back in the bondage of mistruth and lies. That's his goal, because he's the father of all lies. So today, Apostle John, one of Jesus' best friends, probably Jesus' best friend, he was the disciple whom Christ especially loved, Scripture says, is going to give us five tools this morning of how to stay in the truth. Five tools that will help us in our battle against mistruths that are all through our culture. And let me tell you something. Jesus said that at the end of the age, as it gets towards the end, lawlessness will increase, and also false prophets will increase. He said part of the end of the age, Matthew 24, is that false prophets will arise, calling themselves Christ, and false teaching throughout our culture. And we're seeing that all the time. Just turn on your TV, man. 
You'll see a lot of false truths being taught, even on Christian uh, TV stations. So we're going to give five tools this morning as we go through First John, starting chapter 3, verse 19, where we left off. Five tools that will help us to stay with the truth. You ready, church? Let's look at the first tool. First John 3, verse 19. We shall know by this that we are of the what? There it is right there. We're of what? Truth. truth. And shall assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Here's what John's saying. In our mistakes, in our errors, in our doing things that are wrong, and we all do that because we all have a sinful nature that's being influenced by the world of flesh and the devil. When we make mistakes, what can happen sometimes is our heart can condemn us. And we start getting in this mode of condemnation. I'm not talking about conviction by the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about condemnation from the devil. And the devil wants to get us under condemnation because it will cause us to be... uh, wandering from God instead of clinging to God. That's what condemnation does. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. You know what conviction is? Conviction is when the Holy Spirit convicts you and you, you repent, you confess your sins, and you draw closer to God because of that's conviction. Condemnation is when, he, when Satan heaps all his guilt on you and you get, he gets your heart to condemn you because of mistakes you've made, and then you get farther away from God. It's condemnation when it's causing you to go farther away rather than closer to God. But you know what Jesus is? He's not about condemnation. He even said that in talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said this, For God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world. Another version says to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus isn't about condemning people. He's about saving people. I love the story of the uh, adulterous woman. You remember the story, John chapter 8? Jesus is just teaching in you know, the marketplace or whatever, and all of a sudden these religious leaders, these whitewashed tombs, <laughs> religious leaders, grab a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. I've always wondered, uh, how, how did they catch her in the act of adultery? Were they looking through her window or something? But they, they grabbed her in the act of adultery and then brought her out right in the marketplace, right before Jesus was teaching, and said, Jesus, the law says we should stone her to death. What do you say? I love this story because it says Jesus didn't respond right away. What Jesus did is he got on his knee, started drawing in the dirt. I got a hunch of what he was drawing. Because after he drew in the dirt, he stood up and he said, he was without sin. You throw the first stone. Then all these guys dropped their rocks and went home. Because I think what Jesus was doing was he was writing in the dirt the names of all these Pharisees and religious leaders, their their latest, greatest sins, maybe even the date, and then their name. When I get to heaven, I'll check the video vault. But I think that's what happened. And, And then he said to them, you without sin throw the first stone. And they all dropped their stones and went home. And then Jesus had this interchange, this exchange with this woman, this adulterous woman. And it says in John chapter 8, verse 10, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. Notice Jesus' response now. And Jesus says to her, I don't condemn you either. That's the heart of Jesus. Jesus. 
But he does say to her, but you can now go and sin no more. Don't live in that bondage of sin anymore. But let me, let me tell you something, lady. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. So this is the first key for staying in the truth, is we need to be people that understand that God doesn't want to condemn us. Actually, he says in his word, Romans 8, 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so a part of living in truth is living in the fact of knowledge that God is all about grace. He's a God, according to Ephesians 2, is rich in grace, rich in mercy, And he doesn't want condemnation for us. He wants salvation for us. That's the truth. And here's how it works. What happens is as you get to know this truth of God's grace, it keeps you clinging to God instead of running away from God. It keeps you in the truth rather than staying in the spiral of sin, of mistakes. And that's Satan's goal. Satan's goal is when we make mistakes is to get us condemned to the point that we just are paralysis of that, of that condemnation, and we just spiral further and further into mistruths and further and further into sin, rather than doing what John told us in 1 John 1, 9, confess our sins, he's faithful and just, uh, will forgive our sins, and then cleanse us from all righteousness. But when we understand God's grace, and we walk in that grace, and we live in that grace, and we cling to that grace, it keeps us in the truth. The guy that discipled me was uh, Dr. Dave Reed, he was a Bible college professor at Emmaus Bible College, which was in my hometown for at least for a season. And he, he really did a good job of mentoring me when I first came to Christ. And one of the things that Dr. Dave did for me was he gave me a passion to study God's Word because he had a passion to study God's Word. This guy knew God's Word better than just about anybody I've ever known besides him and Pastor Chuck. Both those guys, amazing passion to study God's Word and to be in God's Word. But the other thing Dr. Dave did for me and discipled me was he discipled me in grace. He taught me well about how gracious our God is and how Jesus is not only full of truth, but he's full of grace. You know, the last 40 years of walking with the Lord, that's, that's served me well, that grace. Because I always remember when I do dumb things, and still this day I do dumb things, and I'm a knucklehead and I make mistakes, I, 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 I understand God... I know you're gracious. I know you're a God that's rich in grace. God, forgive me, and he gets me back in track quick and gets me back to truth quick because I, I cling to that grace. It's true, isn't it? God's not about condemnation. He's about salvation. God's about grace. And that keeps us from our heart condemning us like Apostle John was saying because it says right here, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts because of his grace. Amen? So the first key is just live in God's grace. Trust God's grace. Rest in God's grace. Here's the second key, verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, what what John is saying here is God hears our prayers and we ask him for things and we receive them. And part of what we should be asking and receiving is wisdom because the second half of this verse is wisdom. What's wisdom? Wisdom is believing in the, uh, wisdom is uh, keeping his commandments and doing the things that are pleasing to him. That's wisdom. Wisdom isn't just about what's in your head. Wisdom is what's in your heart and what you're living out. That's wisdom. Wisdom isn't just knowing things. Wisdom is living what you're knowing. It's keeping his commandments. And it's, as it says here, doing the things that are pleasing to him. 
And a part of living in wisdom is praying for it and asking for it. Because John 1, or James 1.5 tells us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he who gives, he gives to all generously our approach, and it will be given to him. And I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. I need more than just head knowledge. I need a life that's living it out. And the older I get, and the more I walk with the Lord, the more I'm asking God, not just for knowing about the Bible, I'm asking God to help me live out what I've learned in the Bible. I don't want to just be one who talks it. I want to be one who walks it. I want to be a person that is obedient to his commandments and living in a life that is pleasing to him, because that's wisdom. And the people that have most impressed me spiritually aren't just the people that know the word. It's the people that live the word. And that's what I want more in my life. I want more and more in my life that wisdom to just not know what this book says, but to live what this book says. And I want that for a whole church, because the best witness is a witness that just doesn't know the Bible, but the best witness is the witness that lives the Bible. Amen? I need that. I've been praying for it lately, and I've been asking God for it. And the wonderful thing is, as I ask, I receive more and more ability, not just to know the word, but to live the word. Because he promises, if you lack wisdom, you can ask. And he'll give it to you of generous approach. And you know, the people, again, that I've, I've looked to spiritually, that I go, man, I want to live like them. There are people like Pastor Chuck, the founder of Calvary Chapel. That guy, for 86 years, walked with the Lord. And not only did he know the Bible, but he lived it. I remember having the privilege of watching him at pastor's conferences and being at senior pastor's conferences with him. That guy was full of the Spirit, and he lived what he taught. And he had wisdom. Uh, Billy Graham, same thing. Billy Graham was a great evangelist, a great preacher of the gospel, but the thing that I think was the potency and the power to his ministry wasn't just his words, it was his life. He was a humble man. Uh, Not only a humble man, but a, a man that just lived for Christ passionately, and that's wisdom. And if we lack that, it says ask, ask, and we shall receive wisdom as we ask. And then it goes on, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments, do the things that are pleasing in his sight, And this is his commandments, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another. Very simple. Believe in Jesus, love one another, just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit who's what? It's given to us. Here's here's the, The first key is living God's grace and understand God's grace and walk in the grace. The second key is ask for wisdom, which is living out what you know. But the third key to living in truth, listen, one word. Abide. Abide in what? Abide in Jesus. And the word abide there means remain. It means cling to. It means be present with. Because Jesus said, if any man abides in me, I'll abide in him. And he'll produce much fruit. But apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. And abiding is the key. If we want to live in truth and walk in truth and stay in truth, we got to stay close to Jesus. 
And the wonderful thing about staying close to Jesus is you abide in him, he'll abide in you. But there's a reciprocal relationship there. It says the Holy Spirit already is abiding in us. The moment we receive Christ, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So Christ already abides in us through the Holy Spirit abiding in us. But it's a reciprocal relationship. we got to make a choice on a daily basis to abide in him. And you know, that's a choice that I think we need to make every day in regards to, I think every single disciple of Christ, every single believer in Christ should start their day with a daily quiet time. Where you start your day just reading a chapter two of scripture, praying, abiding in him so he can abide in you and keep you in truth. It's a wonderful thing. And as you start your day that way, you know what happens? That lingering presence walks with you throughout the day. And I think personally, a good way to live is Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man is the one who meditates on God's word day and night. And like a tree planted by streams of water, his leaf doesn't wither, whatever he does, he prospers. I think a good way to live, spend time in the beginning of the day, read a chapter or two of scripture, pray, and then end your day reading a chapter of scripture and praying before you go to bed at night, meditating on God's law day and night. Then even up from there, if you want to have that sense of abiding in him throughout the day, practice 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that says, pray without ceasing. I call them arrow prayers. I've been doing that more lately too. I've been trying to, you know, when I, when I need help or I need guidance or I need truth, I, I, I've been shooting up arrow prayers during the day. It's like, Lord, help me with this. No, I've been forgetting more stuff in regards to like, I'm just a, if my head wasn't connected, I'd lose it, okay? And I'll forget stuff, and I'll, I'll forget where something's at in the house. I'll wear my glasses now, and I don't know where, where did I leave my glasses? And I don't know about you guys, but, but the, what, I, what I find out is I'll spend 20 minutes looking for my glasses around my house, and I, I don't know how she does it, but I'll ask my wife, have you seen my glasses? Yeah, they're in your dresser right there, right there. I go, how'd you know that? Been looking for 20 minutes for those things. So what I've been doing lately is, I, I don't know if it's a pride thing or what, but I haven't been asking Heidi. I've been, Lord, please help me find my glasses. I don't want to ask Heidi again. And I'll shoot up a prayer like that, and you know what? He'll guide me right to that dresser or wherever the glasses are at, because I'm depending on him in prayer. And it's a part of that abiding relationship. He wants to have an ongoing conversation with us throughout our days. Just shoot up prayers, man. Abide in him throughout the day. It'll help you stay in the truth. But again, it's a reciprocal relationship. God's always present. He is omnipresent. He is always there. But we're not always abiding in him. Well, God seems far from me. Guess who moved? James 4, 7 says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. I encourage you, if you're not having that time, start your day with God's word, devotional time. Get back in it, man. It'll help you stay in the truth as you abide in him and he abides in you and he produces much fruit as you walk with him. It'll, it'll, you know what? I get a lot more done during the day, too, if I start with Jesus. I think it was Martin Luther that said basically, hey, in the midst of the Reformation, in the midst of all the busyness of reforming the whole church in the world, Martin Luther said, I am so busy today, I'm too busy not to start my day with prayer. Because you get a lot more done when you're getting it done with Jesus. Amen?
So let's go on, though. So the third principle is, man, keep abiding in Christ. Keep drawing near to Christ. He'll draw near to you. Keep that reciprocal relationship of abiding and abiding in the morning, at night, and throughout the day. And then it says in chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Jesus predicted that this would happen. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this this is the spirit of the, what? Antichrist, of which you heard that is coming, it is now already in the world. Now, the Antichrist is not already in the world, but the spirit of the Antichrist already is. And it's interesting because what John is dealing with here is in the first century church, there was some false teaching already kind of sleeping into the church. It was called Gnostics. And the Gnostics were named for knowledge. Gnosis is knowledge. And they said they had this special knowledge. And what the special knowledge they supposedly had was that Jesus Christ, because he is God, didn't dwell in the flesh because they believed all material things, including our flesh and our bodies, were evil. So Jesus Christ didn't dwell in a body. Jesus Christ was just an emanation from God. Jesus Christ was just like a ghost. And when the disciples walked on the shores of Galilee, the Gnostics were teaching within the church that there was no footprints of Jesus Christ because he was just an emanation from God. He was just a ghost. And John's saying, hey, that's the spirit of the Antichrist because what's Antichrist? The word Antichrist means against Christ or instead of Christ. And a part of what the Antichrist does is he doesn't confess the proper things about Jesus Christ because he's against Christ. And so here's what I want you to see is what he's saying here is the next thing that needs, if we're going to stay in the truth, we got to test our teachers. And what we're hearing on TV, what we're reading in books, what we're listening to in the radio, what you're even hearing at church, Always test your teachers. That's what it's saying when it says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. The word test, they're an interesting word. It's a metallurgical term. It's a term to test metal to make sure the metal has value and the metal is pure. We're supposed to test. That's what we're hearing. That's what we're receiving. And test it for value and purity. Now question, how do you test teachers? The filter of God's word, right? The first way we test our teachers is to make sure what they're saying is in accordance with God's word. Why do we do so many Bible studies here at Calvary Chapel? Why do we emphasize that we want every single person at Calvary Chapel to be a student of God's word so that you can test what you're hearing and what you're receiving and make sure it's in accordance with God's word? And all teaching should be in accordance with God's word. And if it's not, it's the spirit of the Antichrist. And here's a part of the spirit of the Antichrist also, Christ also, is what is this person confessing about Jesus Christ? And if it's improper Christology, which is theology about Christ, it's false teaching. And we see that in all the false teaching throughout all the false religions and all the false teaching in the world. The, first of all, it's not in accordance with God's word, but second of all, it's not confessing the right thing about Jesus Christ. The word confess, there, interesting word, the same word from 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. It's homologio in the Greek, and it means this. It's simple. It means to agree. Agree with what? Agree with what God's word says about Jesus Christ. And God's word says about Jesus Christ 
and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father. And God's word says, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was what? With God, and the word what? Was God. And false teaching will deny the deity of Jesus Christ. That's the spirit of the Antichrist, because the Antichrist is against Christ, and he's going to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Another part of the spirit of the Antichrist also is how are we saved? The spirit of the Antichrist is universalism. It's a spirit of all roads lead to God. Doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter what your religion is, doesn't matter whether it's in accordance with God's word. If, you, if you're sincere, you're fine, you're going to heaven. Is that what the Bible says? No, the Bible says you could be sincerely wrong. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. The spirit of the Antichrist is going to be a one world religion blending everything together. And it's already in the world. We see much of the culture around us pushing this coexist, that everything's fine, it doesn't matter what you believe, just be sincere, and you'll be fine. And by the way, God's love will win, it doesn't matter, we're all going to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, me are those who find it, narrow is the way that leads to life. And again, he says, I'm the only way. That's why he had to die on the cross, because he is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Another thing about false teachers, interesting that we could test, is, is what do they believe about the word of God? The Bible, we, very clearly, is God-breathed. It's inspired. It's, 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 it says all scripture is inspired by God, is useful for teaching, rebuke, and correcting, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And if someone is not believing that this is the inerrant, infallible, God-breathed word, don't listen to him. It's a problem I had with the Mormon church, to be honest with you. The Mormon church teaches that you need the Book of Mormon because the Bible is corrupted. Because it's corrupted, the Book of Mormon can correct the corruption of the Bible. Oh, sorry, but I got a problem with that because this Bible is not corrupted. And the more I study it, the more I realize that every word in this book is inspired by God. And, oh, there's all these contradictions in Scripture. No, there's not. If you say there's contradictions in Scripture, you know what I say? You need to study it some more. Because every time someone's brought a contradiction to me, I'll study it, and I'll go, this is how it all blends together. This book is inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. Remember the Mormon church for years had this commercial out and it said, hey, you've read this book and it showed a holy Bible and then it, sh- it showed another book which was the Book of Mormon and said, now you need to read this book. And I turned the channel and said, no I don't. I'm not going to read that book because it's based on the premise that this book is corrupted. It's not corrupted. Heaven and earth will pass away but God's word will never pass away. This book is God-breathed. So inspired and fallible word of God, don't let anybody ever tell you that this book is not the inspired and errant and fallible word of God. That's false teaching. Test your teachers with that. Remember, I went to Fuller Seminary for my seminary, and back in the mid-'80s when I was there, it was a great seminary. I loved my three years at Fuller. There was people from all over the world there. We had people from 60 different denominations, 60 different countries there. It was awesome. But there was already some liberal professors starting to creep in the seminary, and it was tough because there was evangelical Bible-believing professors, but there was also professors there that weren't sticking with the inerrancy of God's word. And I was like, I don't know if you guys remember that show, Welcome Back, Cotter. 
I'm dating myself with that show. Some of you older people like me, yeah, I remember that show. Some of you young people say, what are you talking about? But anyways, on Welcome Back, Cotter, there was this character, his name was Horshack. Remember Horshack? And I was like Horshack in some of my New Testament classes, especially. He, Horshack in Welcome Back, Cotter would sit in the back row of uh, Cotter's class, and whenever he had a question, ho, 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 he'd answer his question. And, and, or he wouldn't answer his question, or sometimes he would. But anyways, I was like, in my, uh, my Bible classes, when they would start contradicting the inerrancy of Scripture and saying there's all these mistakes, I'd say, ho, 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 let's talk about this. Got to the point that they would just ignore me like Horshack and let me sit back like, like this, because they don't want someone challenging them, questioning the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's Word. Hey, let church, let's stick with the book. You know what? This book is inspired it's God-breathed, and anybody that tells you it's not is not a true teacher of God's word. Sorry, but that's the truth. Stick with the book, amen? So, so the fourth principle for staying in the truth, test your teachers. Test your teachers of what they believe about God's word. Test your teachers, what do they believe about Christ? Test your teachers, what do they believe about soteriology, which is salvation? How are you saved? Test your teachers with God's word. Test your teachers. And then it also says, interesting, going on, and our scripture is closed up with this. It says, you are from God, little children, and overcome them because greater is he. This is a great verse. Every, every Christian should have this verse memorized. Greater is he who is in you than what? He who is in the world. They are from the world. That's the false teachers are from the world. Therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. But this we know by this, we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of what? Error. Here's the last key. This is really important, church. Very important. If we're going to stay in the truth, we need to be people, people that not only test our teachers, we need to be people that walk in God's grace and trust in God's grace. We need to be people that are praying for wisdom to live out what we're learning. We need to be people that are abiding in Christ. But listen, we also got to be people, people of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And the wonderful gift that we have as Christians is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, he'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And that is the Spirit, here it is again, the Spirit of what? The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it did not see him or know him, but you know him because, here he goes again, he abides with you and will be in you. And then Jesus said in John 15, 26, when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, that's the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. See, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And what Jesus is saying here is the Holy Spirit wants to help us. Help us with what? To stay in the truth. The word helper there is an interesting word, parakletos in the original language. It's a word from which we get parallel. And what it's saying there is the Holy Spirit wants to come beside us to help us to stay in the truth. It's part of the Holy Spirit's job. And the wonderful thing is what the Holy Spirit does is not only do we test our teachers through God's word and through their Christology, what do they believe about Christ, but we also test our teachers, what I would call it discernment, discernment of the spirit of truth. 
And here's how it works. You're listening to somebody, you're reading something, you're hearing something on, on radio or TV, and it's false teaching. And before the false teaching happens, they're telling you the truth. They're saying this, and you're saying, yeah, that's right, amen, amen, amen. And then all of a sudden, it's false teaching, and the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, will help you. And it'll say, red flag! That's not what the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit will give you discernment to know truth from error. That's what John is saying here. The spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. But if we're going to have the Holy Spirit help us with those things, we need to be people of the spirit. What does that mean? It means that people that are walking in the spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 says, the spirit-filled life is this, is learning to be people that are speaking psalms and hymns to one another, speaking God's word to one another, and singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father, and also being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's the spirit-filled life. And a part of living in truth is living a spirit-filled life. Being a person of worship. Being a person of the word. Being a person that's in fellowship, like we're doing right now, that all helps us to live the Spirit-filled life. And as we do that, we have the Spirit help us to discern truth from error. Amen? And I love it. I love it because we're not alone. God says, you don't have to fight this war against mistruths in our culture on your own. I've given you the Word, the Word of God, which is inspired and errant, it is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I've not only given you the word, I've given you what, what I've said about Jesus Christ, which he is God and he's the only way, he's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And not only that, I've given you, I've given you my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a counselor. He'll lead you in all truth. You just gotta live a spiritual life and walk in the spirit and, and have a, a life of worship and the word and fellowship and you'll live in truth. And we need that, church, because the, the more I'm seeing it in our culture today, the more it's about more and more, it's more about just being, being biblical, or not biblical, but politically correct. Cancer is, is spreading throughout our culture that it's more important to just go with the flow and the current of political correctness so you don't ruffle other people's feathers. Let's just go with the current. And what I'm seeing is even Christian people that are Bible teachers and have Christian leadership are feeling this pressure to give in the culture, you know, cancel culture and whatever it is, and give in to all these values that are flowing through our culture, and we need to be the salt and light of the world in the midst of that. We need to stick with truth, amen? We need to stick with the truth. And it doesn't matter what is politically correct. What matters is what's biblically correct, Let's not care about being politically correct. Let's care about being biblically correct because the church, listen church, we are to be the salt and light of the world. We're to be, preserve this world from getting rotten. That's what salt did in that culture. And we're to be the light of the world. And the only way we could do that is by standing and living out and standing for the truths of righteousness in this book. And we gotta stick with that. I don't care what the political correctness and the pressure is out there. Let's stick with the word of God and the truth of God and stand on it, amen? And you're gonna get some people mad at you for that because darkness doesn't like the light. Now, does that mean we're rude or we're arrogant or we're prideful about the truth? No, no, Jesus' spirit is a spirit of humility and gentleness and kindness. 
but he's also a spirit of truth. He was full of grace, but he was full of truth. Amen? Amen. So let's be people of the truth. Let's stay in the truth. Hey, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, freedom, right? And, and, and the truth is what sets us free. And if the Son sets us free, ha oh, ha, we're free indeed. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. It is true, and it helps us live in liberty and freedom, God. And we thank you, God, that in the midst of the oppression that's in our culture of mistruths and lies and deception, Lord, we don't have to live in those mistruths and lies. We could live in your truth. Thank you, God, that you've opened our eyes. We know the God of this world is blinding the eyes of people's hearts all around us, but God, thank you for rescuing us and setting us free with your truth. Thank you, God, that we don't have to live in darkness anymore. We can live in your light. Thank you, God, that you rescued us from being just in the bondage to this world to being sons and daughters of God. And we don't have a slavery of a spirit anymore, a spirit of fear leading to slavery, but we have a spirit of sonship and daughtership, a spirit where we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. And your spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're children of God. Father, we thank you that even when our hearts condemn us because we make mistakes or we do wrong things or Satan comes in and heaps all this guilt on us, even when our heart condemns us, Lord, your grace is there and you're rich, you're rich in mercy and grace. We thank you, God, too, that you desire to abide with us and you've given us your Holy Spirit abiding in us, but we gotta make the choice, Lord, to spend time abiding in you. It's a reciprocal relationship. So, Lord, help us even this week to put that on our calendars to spend time with you, Lord, here in church, but here in our, there in our prayer closets too, Lord. Help us to get back to being people that just love to be in your presence, Lord, love to spend time with you. And, Lord, I pray too that we would be people that are discerning in these last days, people that test anything that we believe with your word, test the metal of the teaching with your word, God. Help us to be discerning by your spirit too, Lord. Help us to know by your spirit that this is truth and this is error. And help us most of all stick with your word, God. There's no other truth with authority than your word, their word, Father. It's amazing the truths that are in this book. Help us to stick with those truths and not only know those truths, but again, Lord, help us to live those truths in wisdom. Give us wisdom even this week, Lord, in decisions, in choices, in walking with you, Lord. We pray for wisdom. You say, Lord, if we lack wisdom, we can ask of you, and you'll give it to us generously and without reproach. So I pray for people that hear this morning, all throughout this sanctuary, that might need some wisdom. Just give them a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit and the power of your Spirit giving them wisdom, because your Spirit is a Spirit of truth and not error, a Spirit of wisdom. Pray for parents that might need wisdom in their parenting decisions. I pray for people that need some wisdom at work. I pray for people that are, are, might need some wisdom for their marriages. Bless them with wisdom from above, God. Even right now, give them wisdom. And Lord, please help us to be a people that choose most importantly to live by your word and not the values of the world around us, Lord. Because it's it's, it is lawlessness is increasing in these last days, Lord. Help us to be people that aren't conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said.